from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. This is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. On his first solo album in seven years, Ted Leo expands his sound and wrestles with his emotional turmoil through his songs. You try to make it as important to yourself as you need it to be, but not so specific that you're just writing a diary entry and opening that up to the world. Ted Leo joins us for a performance and interview at the Goose Island Tap Room. Plus, we'll review the new album from the eclectic singer-songwriter, Shamir. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. Best beer you drink. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later on in the show, uh, Jim, you and I are going to review the new album from an artist we really liked a lot a couple of years ago, Shamir. We're going to find out what he's up to on his new album, Revelations. That's later in the show, Greg. But first, we're going to go to a performance and interview that we recorded with Ted Leo in front of a live audience at the Goose Island Tap Room here in Chicago. Uh, poor Ted was dealing with a sore throat. He's in the middle of a long tour, uh, but he powered through it all, and he gave 110% as he is famous for doing since the very start of his career. You know, he emerged uh, from the punk hardcore scene, bands like Citizen's Arrest and Chisel, took it to another level in the early 2000s with Ted Leo and the Pharmacists, uh, kind of shifting toward a clash brand of punk rock, slowing things down a little, but no less intense, getting more political, but also more tuneful. You know, the last album, Greg, was seven years ago. Uh, In that time, Ted Leo did collaborate with Amy Mann, unlikely musical uh, collaboration and a friendship. Uh, We had them on the show in 2014 when they toured after recording as The Both. But a lot of... Uh, turmoil for Ted Leo over the last seven years. He left his label. His family suffered financial and emotional difficulties stemming from health care crises. His wife was very sick. They suffered the tragedy of a miscarriage. All of this is addressed really movingly and, and deeply, personally, honestly in songs on the new album, The Hanged Man. Yeah, Jim, it's a real departure for Ted Leo. The Hanged Man is a departure both in terms of sound and how it was recorded. His other albums are credited to his band, The Pharmacists, and they basically sound like a punk or a garage band playing live in the studio. But The Hanged Man uh, was put out under only Ted Leo's name, and it has a much more expansive sound that's a product of him tinkering alone in his home studio that he built in Rhode Island. So I asked him how building this home studio affected the process of making this record. You know, not to turn this into a sob story, but I was I was driven to, to do that largely because of budget concerns. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, the label that I was on at the time um, wanted to renegotiate my contract, like, down, and uh, I was like, you know, I'll do that if you let me, like, take that and put it into a home studio and just make the record you know myself to which they assented which was great you know but um it was a long process honing my ability to actually you know do more than a four track demo you know kind of thing and eventually it also informed the the writing that I was doing the tinkering became part of the writing you know it was all one kind of making mm-hmm. yeah. did you find that uh 
because of that ability to sort of tinker at will without any time restrictions or budget res restrictions um, that enabled you to take the music? I mean, I'm thinking of songs like, uh, you know, Let's Stay on the Moon, Lonsdale Avenue. These are more textured, almost, you know, like Baroque is a word that maybe gets thrown around a few times mm -hmm. in, in regards to this music. Watch the Was it because of that environment that you were able to sort of go to go to these places? I think so. Yeah, I think that um, like that kind of music is always in my head, and like just never really, I, I very rarely iterate it as such. You know, it always comes out slowly, slightly beat up. Feeling confident in what I was doing with the basics of both the songwriting and the recording, I think allowed me to, to do more. You know, which enabled me to like break another boundary, play around more with strings and things like that. Those kind of more textured songs, those, the ballads, the sense of introspection, the personal nature of, of the music. Um, was it just a case of, uh, I don't have to be, you know, this one thing that I've been for so many years. I think a lot of people associate you, oh, Ted, Ted loves The Clash. He's like modern day inheritor of that, you know, driving punk, new wave-ish kind of approach to guitar playing, song, songwriting. It's easy to sort of give people another record like that because they like that about you. Um, so stretching your, your limbs a little bit here as a songwriter, it, it had to be a little bit of a challenge. Um, it was a little bit of a challenge, but if you go back to my Tyranny of Distance record, which I made in 2000, you know, or something. Um, thanks. Yeah. 2001, on Lookout. I think, yeah, it came yeah. out in 2001. Um, I wrote all the songs for that record during a similar time period. The band that I had been in for most of the 90s had broken up and I was out playing solo um, quite a bit and really had no agenda. I wasn't touring a lot. And, and that is, I think that's the most, they're like bookends to my career so far in a way. I had a walk through cities one Saturday A golden finch came winging my way And sang to me some of my country words of life from city and sea I think that's a much more experimental record than the things that came after it and there's a lot more balladry on it and this is another thing I'm, I'm really just realizing as I have to talk to people about this new record and I have to actually think about the, what the process that I just went through and it's that I, I realized that all of the records between were very informed by how much I was on the road and it's not that I was specifically writing, you know, to just to be a live band, but being a, a live band 99% of the time informed how I was writing, you know. And um, I think having this time away, I had no idea. I, I literally, I mean, until very recently, I didn't even know if the people who are on tour with me now were going to be on tour with me. Like, the band was just exploded. And, and 
it was kind of interesting that it wasn't any kind of conscious thought, but I, but I do realize that at a certain point, I think that um, that filter that I may have been writing through also exploded. Right. So what, you're going to play us a tune. Sure. You're, you obviously, want, you're sure not that. with the band. This is the uh, stripped-down Ted yeah. Leo setting. This is uh, a really old piece of music that I can never figure out what to do with. Um, that in the very late in the game of making this record, I sort of, if you hear it on the record, it's a little more like, it used to be very very driving guitar all the way through, and I sort of took some of that out and rearranged it a little bit, and it's the verses are a little more like upbeat R&B kind of thing. But um, but with it, since it's just me and a guitar right now, it'll be more in the older version. It's uh, called uh, Anthems of None. <clears throat> See how, and I know, I know, I know how it feels. It's the same thing with me now. It's trouble at the bank, trouble in the stream, yeah, there's trouble all around you. While you weep for a soul in the deep, you had trouble getting down to. Too near to stop, too dear to cut it off. Too soon you beat it up yourself. Like everyone, like everyone You can go to hell or you can go to the well As a spirit in the spring, man Gotta kill when you start to distill That's the spirit of the thing, man We try to freeze all the bottles and the bees And pin them to the wall, yeah But no one will sing about the small things with wings And just let them all be small, yeah Too new to stop Cut it off Too soon you're eating up your health Like everyone, like everyone Kill all the souls that drop some the ones that are never done Let it spit off your tongue and that thumb of none But for everyone So conditional, yeah Rather days when you don't want to face Being everything to all, yeah But mm, you got the rain and the sea And anyone could see how Ayo, ayo, they don't need to be Or mean another thing now Too need to stop Too deep to cut it off Do you hear you beating up yourself? Everyone, from everyone, kill all the souls and chop some the ones that are never done. And let it spit off your tongue and that thumb of none, but for everyone, give up your guns, get shriveled in tongues, need the burning sun. And let it fill up your lungs, the air that's 
Anthems of None from Ted Leo on Sound Opinions. We're here at the Goose Island Tap Room in front of an audience, and uh, it's great to have everybody here. So, seven years, Ted. Part of it is you're reinventing how you record and how you write and setting up this uh, studio and moving to Rhode Island. There also was a real challenge in your marriage. Your wife was very sick, and you had to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And some of that is reflected on some of the songs on The Hangman. To the extent that you're comfortable talking about it. What was that like going through that? My wife had just uh, had to stop working because of uh, how ill she was. And I didn't have any insurance, you know, I'm in a dumb punk band, you know, so, um, so I had to buy it on the open market and it was, you know, crushing. Um, yeah. And even then, the treatment that we actually needed was not gonna be covered. Um, so we would have been uh, in the hole for about for over a hundred thousand, like just for this treatment course, um, and uh, you know when you fa when you face those things, though, it's like th what do you do? Like we were just yeah. like, well, I don't know what we do. Maybe somebody will be nice and hold a benefit for us, you know? <laughs> like I have no yeah. idea, you know? How many benefits you yeah, played yeah, over yeah, the years? You know, yeah. But like, but um, but you got to do it. You got to do it anyway, and then you just have to accept that the rest of your life is is paying. Paying that off, hopefully, but not dying. You know, I mean, it's a it's a crazy choice to have to make, and I mean that you know that's not the only thing. That's that was one catastrophic illness, but the many, many, many things that that we all have to go through. I mean, especially women who have to deal with so many more healthcare issues on the on the reg than than men. Um, it's uh, it's really ridiculous that <laughs> that we're not trying to expand this, that we're still fighting these battles, yeah. uh, these ideological battles that have no grounding in what people actually go through when they face these situations. Were you more or less creative when all this stuff was going on? Were you able to write songs still? Um, no. Uh, during the, the illness times, um, uh, I had to go out on the road a lot because I was the only... I was the only person earning money in our household. So um, I, I would go and then things would get worse and I'd have to cancel the rest of the tour, you know, mm -hmm. but, but I'd have to go. It was the only way that we were, that we were um, making a, a buck and um, I wasn't really doing much writing at all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had, some, we had some later stuff happen that, um, that I did wind up eventually writing about. Right. Yeah. Um, and was that difficult for you to finally take that and, and sort of say it's got to be in this song? It's got to be part of a song that I'm writing. I never sat down and said, I need to write about this. You know, um, I would just, I rarely do that about anything. I get an, an idea or, you know, a phrase and then I build a thing, I build a song around it. Mm -hmm. And um, these songs that, that wind up being about the, this uh, loss of our daughter, um, um, they weren't hard to write. They were just hard to play the first few times I tried to play them. Um, you try to make it um, as important to yourself as you as you need it to be, but um, you know, also 
not so specific that you're just you know writing a diary entry and opening that up to the world, you know. Well, I think that's why you've filled the Goose Island Tap Room. That's I mean, people relate to what you're writing about. I, we always feel like we see ourselves. Thanks. That's a, that's humbling. I mean, that's what I would hope for. I had a silky child in trouble time. She came. I couldn't protect her from this life and all its pain. We called her many things and those things she remained. She taught me better love than I might have again. Slip into the slipstream, follow up and go. But this man who gladly moved me in mountains must get outside and shovel snow. We'll have more of our conversation with Ted Leo at the Goose Island Tap Room after a short break. And later, we'll review the new album by singer-songwriter Shamir. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. As I was walking through a life one morning, the sun was out, the air was warm, but oh, 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 I was cold. And though I must have looked a half a person to tell the tale in my own version, it was oh, oh, only then that I felt whole. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That's a little bit of Milwaukee by The Both, a 2014 collaboration between Amy Mann and our guest, Ted Leo. Now, Leo worked on that project in the middle of a seven-year gap between his own recordings. So when we spoke to Ted recently in front of an audience at the Goose Island Taproom in Chicago, I asked him how his experience collaborating with Amy Mann affected his approach to recording his new album, The Hanged Man. She uh, helped me understand a little bit more of the breadth of what I can actually do, you know? And so if I have things in my head, uh, I don't always have to rough them up as they come out into some, you know, this form that I already understand, you know, I can, I can let them breathe a little bit more um, and get a little weirder at times. And, and also, um, you know, the amount that she and I really worked on getting our harmonies tight as we could all the time and phrasing and, uh, and finding interesting melodies, I think I walked with a, a better sense of how I can also do that with my own stuff. So Ted, you're gonna have to play us another song, right? What is it gonna be? Yeah, I'll, I will play uh, William Weld in the 21st century. Anybody know who William Weld is? He's a for, yeah, former governor of Massachusetts. He was the Libertarian vice presidential candidate. Yeah, he's the narrative touchstone 
you mm-hmm. know, around which I wrote the song, which is, hope I'm not offending anybody here, but it's largely about um, a general abdication of uh, responsibility for fellow human beings by white men. Yeah. Straight white men. So um, it's a little, a little song. Yeah, it's, a little, it's just about a little thing, yeah. <laughs> Sees the twentieth century fading away in the night. The curtain fell on this old noble venture. He waits in the lane for his flight. Let you down. No, they won't. 
down No, they won't turn around They'll always let you down No, they won't turn around They're gonna let you down Men of breeding and men of sanity Men serving men out of time William Weldon, the 21st century. We're here at Sound Opinions in the Goose Island Tap Room with Ted Leo. Uh, Ted, uh, it's great to have you here and uh, in the middle of a, a, a big tour for a record that you put out on your own, self-released. Um, you are, you're uh, pioneering in your own career the Kickstarter yeah. thing, um, which for those of you who don't know, basically crowdfunding a record. Your fans paid for this record. What was that experience like? Uh... Awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, it you know, it, it was, uh, there were a number of conceptual hurdles to get over for me. I won't say I, I had entirely, I'd gotten over them all when I decided to do it. It was a bit of a, uh, an attempt to challenge myself to try something new, um, to not just go with another label after having had kind of a crummy experience with most recent collaboration in that regard. And, um, what this record wound up being is really in large part a function of the Kickstarter being so successful and not just financially, but I mean, the, the buoyancy that I got from the response was just like, I'll just tell you, like the, 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 it funded in one day and the, and the first, wow. and I was afraid, thank you. Wow. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah, that's I have, I have to applaud. I have to applaud you for that. It's not the way, it's not the way it works. Um, and uh, I, you know, I was nervous about whether it was going to fund at all, let alone in a day, let alone you know beyond the uh, the goal. But I, I said it live at nine a.m. You know, sent out a, like a couple of tweets. I just did the the single like blast, like hey, there's a thing I'm doing. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 please check it out by like. 4 p.m. It was. It was. I realized that it was. It hadn't funded yet, but I realized it was going to fund that day. And I was walking. I was walking <laughs> to the bathroom in my home, and I was just like, I had just checked in, and I was like, oh, man, wow, I, I got to go to the bathroom. Not not because of that, just you know, just because that's what humans do, you know. And and uh, and as I was walking, I was just thinking about it, and I realized that like this lightness, just like this, a weight I did not know that I was carrying just went away. And all of a sudden I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> now I can just be creative. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. light bulb. Progress is promised, but it's no moving on. You're wearing up, it doesn't confound you. But if you trusted that it wasn't a con, you're like me. You're like me. You're like me.
if we look at the labels you've worked with, you know, Lookout and Touch and Go and Matador, generally considered some of the best indie labels, but still it hasn't even been easy for you. This whole notion of a label is really... Yeah. I mean, well, I'll say this. I mean, it, it hasn't been easy for me. It also hasn't been easy for them. I mean, Lookout and Touch and Go are no longer with right. us, you know? Right. And there's no way that I would have that I would have the audience that I have who was willing to help me with this project the way that they were, if not for the help of of all the labels that I've worked yeah. with. You know, so I'm not I'm in no way, shape, or form anti-label. You know, it, when crowdfunding first became a thing, I like many you know musicians who had decades grinding it out the old way. You know, get in the van, we jam Econo and all yeah. that. You know. Yeah. It seemed like the the transaction was disappearing. It seemed like it was just becoming like a one way thing, and it was very like hat in hand. But I realized that it is still it's still a transaction. People are still getting your record, mm -hmm. and they're just helping you do it earlier. You know, <laughs> they're just getting involved, and they're getting involved in the process. And in that way, it's 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 kind of fun, and. I really enjoyed that aspect of it, and it's something that I would almost encourage labels to start doing. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily Kickstarters per se, but so many labels rely on pre-orders and everything these days. Like, why not try and get people involved earlier? I mean, it yeah. it makes it a thing that everybody is doing together, and that shared risk, you know, is really helpful. And then you still get the record at the end right. of the process. Many people will forever associate you with Heart of Oak. Mm -hmm. Comes out in the midst of America rushing headlong into two wars, the Bush years. You write uh, Moon Out of Phase the morning after the election. I didn't write it then. Okay. Um, I wrote it a couple months later. Okay. Um, uh, but it's inspired by the last election. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had, for some reason, booked a, a two-week solo tour talking to my booking agent about it. One does not book tours the day before one leaves anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. talking about it a few months before, um, I was like, yeah, I think I got some free time, like middle of November. He's like, okay, how about, you know, you want to start in like Richmond on November 9th? And I'm, I was like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> great idea. It's perfect. I got nothing to do, you know? <laughs> of course. It's like, you know, at about 11 p.m. on November 8th, I was like, I gotta drive to Richmond tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> play a show? I had a mustache at that point in time, and I just walked up to the bathroom and I was like, mm -hmm. it's like it's the level of pretense I can't keep up anymore. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Wednesday, wake up, think about makeup, barely make it into clothes, the creeping and the Kind of amazing because 
boy, were the few people in Richmond who came to that show glad that that show was happening. You Greg know? and I have talked about right. this. Those three or four weeks after yeah. the election, there was a need for catharsis yeah. on stage like I've never seen. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And it, it was it was really nice, actually. And I was playing all, like, really small places, most of them, like, not even a dressing room. And people, you know, people just really wanted to talk. And uh, I was like, all right, this is what we're doing. And it was, it was great for me. I, I came back having processed a lot. And everybody else who'd been at home was still walking around like... Days. You know. <laughs> You've been making music since the 80s. Um, you're, you're in your 40s now. You're a student of rock history. Everything that you've read has told you that people pretty much are... I mean, the Beatles did their best work when they were, by the time they were 27. Mm. They would never get to that point again in their career. I just think you made your best album. Thank you. And I, I, Thank you. I think there's some other people out there that feel the same way. Uh, you're still pushing yourself. Do you ever think about that sort of cutoff date? Like, when do I, when do I lose it? When do I not be as good as I used to be? Or do, do, do you feel that in your own career at all? I have always felt like I could do better than I've done, to be honest with you. So, like, I haven't, I haven't hit that look back point yet. Like, you know, I, not that I don't stand behind the records that I've made, but... I always feel like when it comes time to make the next one, my ideas are better. You know, my ideas are, are not better, but they're, you know, they're more honed. I've learned more. You know, I've learned more about what I can do and what I want to do. And um, I don't fear that, like, my best work is behind me. Um, I just hope that I can keep making pretty good work yeah. <laughs> for a while. Well, I mean, there is, there is something to, you know, I think I probably thought about this a lot more in my 30s than I do now. Um, but you know, when you when you think about like what you know, even like Wings and Plastic Ono Band, if you're right. talking about the Beatles, and you know, you know, they were all so young, and they, <laughs> they were making these records. And uh, you know, I'm like 30, and I'm like, oh yeah, sure, I'll play a basement in Boise, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. for the 10 punk kids there, or whatever. Now that, and you know, that I definitely went through some ex more than one existential, you know, crisis with that. But um, I, I think once I sort of cleared 40, and probably partially due to a lot of all this other life stuff that we were talking about, um, you know, now I'm, I'm a little bit like, I'm still here. You know? The future is learning to wait around for things you didn't know you wanted to wait for. The future is learning to wait around for things you didn't know you wanted to wait for. You're going to play one more song for us? Then? Sure, yeah. What are you going to do? Um, this, is, uh, this is also on the new record. It's called The Little Smug Supper Club. It's, um, it's not about anything serious it's just about a dude that i was mad at one day and, uh, <laughs> decided finally indulged in a poison pen song and this is about a guy um who was a chef and uh i only mentioned that because there are a lot of food references in the song <laughs> might raise an eyebrow <laughs> Wednesday you didn't even mention me I'd rather hear insulting than ignoring me intentionally Now don't 
you think it's weird? Don't you see how it could hurt? To drop it like it's hot and leave it lying in the dirt And from the field to the chafing dish I can't wait to taste dessert And all the kitties at your table Sipping vinegar from flutes You tell them it's champagne And then you charge them to believe you For the sake of what they're paying Oh, I wish that it was true Cause I remember heady days When they were my friends too And if the stars are aligned Then the stars will all arrive For you celebrated on his animal cuts Of the cruelest kind of loop of local origin Provincial view of urban men and I slaughtered at the little smug supper club all the words upon your tongue it just gave lip service to and all the slumming it was nothing more than fun to you a lot of damage i've done but i've been damaged too and though the damage isn't done none of it's done to you In brunch, I just sat back amused but wounded too. Oh, embarrassed as I crunched upon a carrot for an amuse bouche. I never got your pretext for this whole rigmarole, and it's insulting to the subtext when you write it out in bold, like when I caught you at my brother's wedding, sitting in the punch bowl. And all the kitties at your table wrap your curries on their shirts And the stains will be reminders of how good it used to hurt Like a vampire's kisses or a Thanksgiving curse Like opening up a bottle and always giving you the first And if the stars are aligned, then the stars will all arrive For you celebrated on his animal cuts Of the cruelest kind of loop of local origin Provincial view of urban men and I'll be the Slaughtered. If the little smug stars are aligned, then the stars will all arrive. While you serve it up in all his animal cuts of the cruelest kind of loop of local origin, provincial view of urban women, I'll be the lamb slaughtered at the little smug supper club. 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 The Little Smug Supper Club by Ted Leo, live on Sound Opinions at the Goose Island Tap Room. Ted, so much of a pleasure for us to have you back on the show. It's a real pleasure for me, thank you. I'm sorry my voice is not in the best shape, but thanks. It was great. We've got video of Ted Leo's performance at soundopinions.org. Now we want to hear from you. What's your take on Ted Leo and his new album? What do you think about crowdfunding as a model for making music? Let us know on our hotline, 888 859 1800, or find us on Twitter or Facebook. 
When we get back, we'll review the new album from singer-songwriter Shamir, and I'll play a song I can't live without from the Desert Island Jukebox. Greg, I'm going back to uh, sneaking underage into clubs in Hoboken, New Jersey in the (laughs) early 80s for my pick this week. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and that's a track called Games from the new Shamir album, Revelations. Uh, Shamir, a previous guest on the show, we had him on shortly after the release of his 2015 debut album, Ratchet, which was very well received, an acclaimed record, led him to to, uh, some festival spots. Unfortunately, he was uh, dropped from his label and put out a uh, self-released recording earlier this year and released a statement at the same time saying, I I was going to quit music this weekend. From day one, it was clear I was an accidental pop star. There was some question as to whether Shamir would ever record again. But lo and behold, he's back with a new album and a new label. It's called Revelations. Here's a track from it called Straight Boy on Sound Opinions. Tell me why Yeah. 
That is Straight Boy from Shamir and his new album, Revelations, a startling record, Greg. Now, we had Shamir on the show January 2016. We were big fans of his breakthrough record, and there was a lot of house music on there. That was partly the function of label owner and producer Nick Sylvester. There is a lot of venom from Shamir about his experience in the star-making machine. We bumped into this review with games. I don't have much to offer you, but my soul, my heart, and everything I've been through, you just see the green. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, When we talked to him, he was incredibly honest, forthcoming. We both got hugs. This is a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve. And the shift from the house music, disco, electronic dance vibe of the last record to the almost outsider art, uh, way lo-fi, stripped-down bedroom recording, somewhere between what a Daniel Johnson would do in the indie rock underground and Prince on a four-track cassette deck, it lies, you know, the kind of mix of country, punk, and folk, and soul... It's all over the map. It it can't be really described as any one genre. It is Shamir. And the song that we just played, Straight Boy, is him realizing after uh, a brief period of institutionalization where he is fighting manic depression that all of the support while he was trying to get better came from gay and trans people and women. And he, he was he's wondering, why are there no straight boys, men, uh, giving me any support. And I think, you know, I, I teach uh, this semester 300 freshmen in college, okay? And the issues of toxic masculinity, hashtag me too, and the issues of, of race and sex and gender identity are so prevalent on the minds of these 18, 19, uh, Shamir just turned 23, not a lot older than them. Wow. What a voice he is giving these issues in such amazing music throughout Revelations. Fantastic record. It's a buy it record as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating turnaround, Jim, as you mentioned. I think anybody who loved Ratchet may take a little bit uh, of time to understand what's going on here. Fortunately, he gave us that Hope self-released uh, rec- recording earlier this year, sort of a bridge to this one, like what's going on with Shamir. He's doing this lo-fi recording. This is this is kind of mid-fi. I wouldn't say it's high-fi. <laughs> it's more of a mid-fi recording. Yeah. So it's a little more produced, but it's still pretty raw. It's basically drum machines and rinky-dink keyboards and some raw guitar, all, all played apparently by Shamir. Uh, but he addresses that perpetual misfit status that he sort of sang around a little bit in Ratchet head-on on this record, and I really like that aspect of it. Like, you know, let me be me. You know, you're, yeah. you're trying to shape me into something I'm not. So I just float The thing about uh, the uh, record he put out earlier this year, uh, where the hooks were missing, and the thing I loved about Ratchet was, even though this guy was singing about some pretty serious subject, there were great hooks in those songs, and you wanted to dance to them. You may not necessarily want to dance to these songs, but he's writing really catchy melodies in the midst of these kind of very descriptive lyrics of his internal uh, turmoil. I'm thinking of a song like Blooming, you know, that's got that syncopated kind of feel of like an old Ronette song Mm. or something. 
referencing the Pixies in another track like You Have a Song. Uh, so he's, he, he's a very eclectic kind of listener and a fan, but also as a, as a musician, uh, channeling these different influences, showing the different sides of Shamir. I don't know if the people who loved Ratchet are going to necessarily love this record, but I think it's a very strong progression for his career. And to be able to be out so upfront about his distaste for what the industry was trying to make him and what he actually is, it's a very strong personal record that I personally love, and I, I give it a buy it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and play a track we cannot live without. Jim, it's your turn to pop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox. What's it going to be? I just uh, am trying to sort through the endless collection of timeless, wonderful, extraordinary pop songs that we've never played on the desert island. Uh, Also, I've been writing about the early 80s in New Jersey and the power pop scene around Hoboken, uh, uh, New Jersey, and the club Maxwell's. And I uh, played the bongos and their timeless single, The Bull Rushes, uh, way back in 2007 as a desert island pick. I want to play the record that followed the bongos' debut. Uh, Richard Barone, the leader of the group, made a a split solo album with James Mastro, who had just joined the trio on second guitar. You know, they they went down to North Carolina and worked with Mitch Easter, who uh, right around that time was making a record with these guys called R.E.M., Murmur. Uh, and, And James took a side and Richard took a side. And it's a perfect power pop gem from 1983 that that is uh, never been reissued, that nobody remembers. And I mentioned having played The Bull Rushes, the the most famous song by the Bagos, because I think this is uh, Richard Barone's sequel to that song. Um, If I had to take a guess, I think The Bull Rushes is about this sort of mystic awakening of a teen realizing there are forces bigger than you in the universe. And I think Flew a Falcon is about realizing there are incredible forces inside you and you don't know what to do with them. And then it becomes a questioning of sexual identity, not unlike some of the music we were just talking about with Shamir. Uh, I want to kiss you, but I'll go away instead. Um, You know, I think Richard, who is openly gay, since then, uh, you know, is 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 wondering how he fits in and who he is. And all of this is in two minutes of pristine pop with an incredible Mitch Easter midsection that has uh, three, like, different sweet-type parts intertwined between this really rhythmic thing and then the string swell. And it's like tension-release, tension-release, and then there's a whole different string section that makes you realize everything's going to be okay. Hmm. Flew a Falcon by Richard Barone from 1983 on Sound Opinions. I flew a falcon, I flew a thunderbird, I flew everything away. There was a pasture, someone was chanting, I couldn't listen anyway. And in the future, if there is time left, then I will show you how I feel. Too many scared guys, too many scared guys, I want to kiss you, but I'll go. Let me go away. Let me go away. 
Gorilla Falcon, joint solo album by James Mastro and Richard Barone. Nuts and Bolts is the record, 1983. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to do a classic album dissection of one of Al Green's finest albums, The Bell Album. Greg, Sound Opinions got help at the Goose Island Tap Room from Andrew Gill, Paula Friedrich, and Adam Yaffe. And as always, the show is produced by Brendan Banizak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and Iona Contreras. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hey, guys. My name is Tony Kinsel. Um, giving you a call from Louisville, Kentucky, listening to you on WFPK. Uh, the post-Halloween special, um, bands who changed themselves, etc. And I got one for you. Um, my dear friend... The Afghan Whigs mutate into the Twilight Singers. And to prep for the album, or rather prep for the tour, um, they take on a new persona, um, a band called the Uptown Lights. Now, the Uptown Lights uh, were a soul, R&B, funk cover group, and they played half a dozen shows um, in and around the L.A. area quite a few years back to uh, get tight. Um, and then later they go on uh, tour as the Twilight Singers. I saw them in a tiny, tiny club in L.A. Had a great moment of interaction with Greg Gooley, as I've had a few through the years. And uh, that's it. So Afghan Wigs become the Twilight Singers, which become, for a very short time, the Uptown Lights. Love the show, gentlemen. Have a glorious night. Thank you. Bye. Hey, guys. This is Tim from Minneapolis, and wanted to first say a great show. Just finished listening to your Halloween show. And I distinctly remember being um, a young high school kid, playing the Honey Drippers and just being blown away that this was actually Robert Plant. Short EP that came out, it had a couple hits because of probably the MTV era, but I remember I was a huge Led Zeppelin fan and listening to Robert Plant sing those kind of songs and basically put on a different guise uh, was really eye-opening for me at the time. And, of course, Robert Plant's gone on to reinvent himself a couple times, but that album was such a mystery without a whole lot of credits on it, and it was pre-internet, so it was kind of hard to discover what was behind the Honey Drippers, but um, I kind of like the mystery behind that. 
Anyway, great show. Uh, keep it up. Thanks. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Jeremy calling from Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, just calling to thank you for highlighting Italian beaches on your Buried Treasures episode. Uh, you know, the city of Lexington has a wonderful music scene, and I think, unfortunately, because of its location right in the middle of places like Louisville, Cincinnati, and Nashville, it's not always given the credit it deserves, and it's oftentimes overlooked by touring acts that come through the area. Uh, but we really have some great and diverse music being made in this city right now. Bands like Johnny Conqueroo, Terrified Riders, The Wooks, uh, starting to get into people's ears, and I think it's a great thing. Uh, I particularly want to draw your attention to uh, Darren Harcourt. Uh, he just released his debut album, Signs and Wonders, on Questionable Records. Uh, their bank camp page describes the music as psych country. I think that's a fairly accurate description. Please listen closely. I think I killed a man. Yeah, I hope you guys like the record, and I just want to say thanks again for shining a little light on Lexington. Thanks, guys. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.